But today I have a, I have a message for you, and it's going to come from Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to verse 45, 45, 55. So Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 55. And uh, my idea, my, my title is Responding to God, or actually Responding to Mercy, Responding to Mercy, right? And um, kind of just preparing for this, I was thinking, what, this week I'm like, what is a... Uh, What's something, I, I'm, I'm trying to get ready for Christmas, I'm, I'm waiting for the birth narrative, I want to see the birth of Jesus. Before you get there, what is, what's, what's something I need to know? What, what am I looking at? Let me look at the story. And this was really just on my heart, this, uh, this song of Mary, where Mary magnifies God, right? And actually, it's, it's called the Magnificat. And I learned, I learned that Magnificat is, I mean, it makes sense, but it's the Latin word for magnify, and that's why they named it that. Right? So, Magnificat. We're going to learn about that today. And this idea of, of responding to mercy and understanding our role in God's story of mercy. Right? And I thought of how, uh, how young kids, they love, they love to help. They love having a special task. Right? And I was thinking about, I mean, it has to be a special task. can't be, you know, laundry. No. But a special task, like I remember when I was in um, when I was in first grade, right? Some kids got to clap the the, uh, the eraser. Some kids got to wipe down the whole board. But my first grade class, we had these pet cockroaches, right? They were giant hissing cockroaches, right? And everybody was dying. They wanted so badly. We all, everyone had a turn throughout the year. You got a turn to take care of the cockroach for a year, I mean, for the week, and you got to give it water and throw some fruit in there, and I was pumped. It was my turn to, to help the cockroach, right? I was doing my part in the class, you know? I mean, I don't want to be a mile away from a cockroach now, but now, then, are you kidding me? It's my best friend, you know? I was pumped. I was pumped to help that be a part, to be asked to take care of that cockroach. I remember... Uh, man, I must have been about seven years old. We were, we were in Pennsylvania where my, most of my, like, my uncles and aunts on my dad's side lived. And um, they had to go to a wedding or something. And all of us, this is, yeah, I was probably about five or six and maybe a little older. And all of us kids got left behind. We hung out with Uncle Pete that night. Uncle Pete watched us. And he had a whole wood shop in his basement, right? And so Uncle Pete brought all of us kids down in the wood shop. And uh, we got to get up on the tools with him. And as he helped us, we, would, uh, we made all, like, little name plates, like, like uh, it's like a little, you know, like on a desk, it says, you know, a name plaque, right? We got to carve our own name plaque, and I have mine down on my desk downstairs, and you can see my bad penmanship. I did it myself with the router with Uncle Pete's help, and he, he allowed me to do this special task and help him, and we made that, we made my little name plaque, and I still have it. And, uh, man, kids love to know that they can be a part. Right? They want to they have a hand in the story. They want to have a hand in the act. They want to they know that they're important, that, that they're useful. I think we all do, but they rejoice like nobody's business. They'll fight to get to do something, you know, because they want to do it so bad. I think in this story, we're going we're gonna to hear about uh, how Mary was so joyful in worshiping God that she had a part in God's story. I think that's, that's, the, that's this idea that we're going to find in this, in this song that we see. And I think in our own lives, too, we're gonna, I want to really dig in on is that we need to be joyful Amen. to have a part in God's story. You know? So I want to jump into 
verse 46 here. But before we do, I want to know what's led up to this song that Mary's going to sing. So when Luke, he starts, his, his, uh, he starts the book here, he first he, he writes a little intro to Theophilus. And he's writing the book of Luke and also the book of Acts for Theophilus because Theophilus needs to know all of the things that Jesus has done so it would encourage his faith, right? And then after that, he jumps into the story. And first we're, we get the, the angel who comes and tells uh, Zechariah about, about John the Baptist who's going to be born to Elizabeth, his wife. And we hear how he says that they were righteous people and that they have been praying for this, but they were older in age and unable for their entire lives to have children. But God's going to do this miracle so that they can have a child and he's going to prepare the way for the Lord, right? And so we see first this idea, right? And, and Zechariah doesn't believe that first. And so the angel closes his mouth. He can't speak until his son is born. And so he's, he's mute all the way through the, through the story until the birth of his son, John the Baptist. And while that's happening, then we jump over to Mary's story. And, and an, the angel comes to Mary. And the angel, he, he tells her that you're going to have a son as well. And, and that he is going to be the Christ. He's going to be a son of, he's the son of David. Who's, and he's going to have a kingdom that will never end. And it will reign forever. Right? And then Mary, Mary says, how is that going to be possible? And, and the angel tells her, the Holy Spirit's going to come over you and you'll conceive the child, right? And so we know this is, this is not just a miracle of uh, people who haven't been able to have children having a child. This is an incredible, unheard of miracle that a virgin is going to conceive a child because of the work of God, right? So we see the, that, oh, John, this is amazing. And then we see with Jesus, this is out of this world. This is unbelievable. This is incredible. And so Mary, she hears this news, and it says she went with haste. You know, I mean, she just saw an angel, and seeing an angel is cool enough. She's told that she's going to have the son of David as her son. I mean, the son of David, to us, we maybe hear that, or it doesn't maybe have a ton of significance to us, but to her, this title, the son of David, carries so much weight. You see, because David, the original, the, the second king, but who began the lineage of kings for Israel, was the ideal king. And, and from David were all, was, was this promise that, that God would use David's line to build this, this kingdom of justice and righteousness that, that would that would reign and, and where, where God's presence would dwell within the earth in David's kingdom and, and that it would be an everlasting kingdom, right? And, and we see that when they failed as Israelites, they failed and, and it was all taken away from them. Now in Mary's day, the kingship, the lineage had been broken and, and Israel had not had a son of David as king for probably about four or 500 years at this point. And so now... Here, here she is, this young girl, and she's being told her son is the son of David. And what she's understanding is this is the prophesied son. This is the son that Israel has been waiting for. This awaited king who's going who's gonna to restore Israel and restore faith. And he's going he's gonna to bring a restoration to this world and set up a kingdom that will never end where righteousness and God's presence will, will be established. That's what's running through Mary's mind 
as she's thinking these, as she's understanding this. And she runs with haste. She goes with haste to her cousin Elizabeth, who's having John the Baptist. She gets to John the Baptist. She gets to Elizabeth, and, and Elizabeth is telling her about her son. Mary's telling her about her son. And, and Mary, Elizabeth already knows. She just knows. And it says that she, she blessed that She said, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Right? And so that this narrative has begun. We see these events taking place. And then we get to Mary's song right here in verse 46. And I was trying to understand as I was preparing, what's the purpose of this song? As a storyline, as a plot line, what, how, is this, how is this song advancing the storyline? What does Luke want us to know through this? What, how, is, how, is we get, how are we getting to the end of this story, the, the goal of this story from this song? And as I was reading about these different songs, it's actually very similar to many of the poems in, these, in the Old Testament. And they, they actually are a pause Mary's song is a pause in the narrative, and it's her interpretation of the events and of what's been told to her from the angel, you know? And just jumping into this, it's like, here's Mary. She, she's a young girl. She's not over 20, that's for sure. And, and she's, she's, had, she's engaged to a man, but she's going to have a baby without this man and somehow explain this. And, and, and then she... She, uh, she could be ostracized from the community or killed from the community. And, and not only that, but she's going to be raising the son of God, the son of David, this weighted king that they need. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. And here we have a pause in the story and we're able to see kind of into her heart. And this is what it says in verse 46. We're going to go all the way to verse 55. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. All right? I want to look at this passage. I want to take a look at this song. And I believe that there's three main parts to this song that we can see through uh, the words she's using. And beginning with verse 46 to 47, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. These are the only verbs that will be in this passage that are attributed to Mary. She's the only one, these are the only actions she's going to be doing in this song. And, and not only that, but she doesn't say, my, I magnify the Lord and I rejoice in God, my Savior, but she says, my soul magnifies and my spirit rejoices. And then we see that the object of this mag magnifying and the object of this rejoicing is in the Lord and God, my savior, right? So 
First, we see she's saying, it's my soul and my spirit. I think the reason why she isn't just saying, I'm doing, I'm rejoicing, I'm magnifying, is because she's giving more detail to see the depth of this joy and the depth of this magnification. It's from her inmost part. It's from her inner self. It's, it's vibrating through her, her inner being. This idea that, that it's all of her, it's, it's within her, it's, it's, uh, it's just glowing out of her. I think she wants us to see how much this means to her. And, the, and then also, this idea of magnifying, this idea of worship, right? She's worshiping. But what's paired with that in the next line is rejoicing. And that her worship, it's not, it's not done in fear. It's not done in haste. It's not done in anxiety. It's not done because it has to be done. It's done out of a spirit of rejoicing. There's a great joy in her, in her praising God. And then also we see the object of this, the Lord, right? The Lord, the, the Almighty. And then, but it says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. We see that. So first she says the Lord, and then she says God, my Savior. I think that second line is really just developing her view of the Lord. He's not just the boss. He's God, the Savior, right? She's showing the personal effect of her Lord, of her God. That he's not a distant God and Lord who, who, who masters and is over and, and, just, uh, and just wields and tells what must be done, but he's the Savior. She's viewing God, the Lord, as, as her Savior. This one who, who is personal and, and sees and acts and, and moves on her behalf. Right, Mary, she's worshiping God. She's rejoicing in God because he's her Savior. And I think we're gonna, he's gonna, she's going to elaborate on how he's her savior. So now that's that first part, the action of Mary, worship or, or magnifying, and then next rejoicing. And I think the second part to this, for he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Verse 48, you see that first word is for, or maybe your translation says because she's now going to give the reason for this worship and this joy. Her reason is because God has looked at her humble estate of his servant. I mean, look how she's describing herself. She sees herself in this lowly position, undeserving, right? I mean, what's actually amazing is in the story before this, right? we see these two stories kind of being contrasted. We see Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then we see Mary, right? And so first, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the angel comes. We hear that Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous. We also see that the angel calls them by name, Zechariah and Elizabeth. We also know that Zechariah came from this priestly line. He was in the temple. I mean, he is of high status while the angel came to him, right? They were praying fervently for a child. We see all these different things. In Mary's case, when the angel comes, he does not even say her name. She is never mentioned as righteous. We see that her, she, we do not know her family line. It's not mentioned. We, we, we see that she did not pray for this to happen. And what I think the author is showing us is that 
She is the object, object of unasked and unmerited mercy, grace, right? That, that what God wants us to see is she is of this low position in life, just a young girl who could be tossed and, and thrown by the winds of her society. And yet God has, has found favor in her. God has looked, she's saying, at her. She's rejoicing that, that of all the people in the world, all the people in Israel, all the people maybe from a better family or all the people from maybe more righteous family, that, that God's seen her. She's saying, he's looked at me. He has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, he's saying, I'm, she's saying, I'm from this humblest state. For behold, from now on, from this, you know, from this point to the future, all generations will call me blessed. She's understanding that God is looking at her and he's, 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 having, he's having mercy and he's having grace on her and that all generations in the future will call her blessed. Why? 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. She's recognizing that God has looked at her, that God has decided to do great things with her, in that from now on, generations will call her blessed. Right? What's happening in 40, uh, 48, 40, uh, yeah, 48 to 49, we see this personal reasoning for rejoicing in worship. This personal reason that Mary has, that God has looked at her, that he is going to do great things with her. And that even though she's from this humble estate, from now on, generations will call her blessed, right? But then we jump into 50. And it says this. And his mercy is for those who fear him for generation to generation. I believe 50 is introducing this next section in the poem. And what we see is, uh, look who the subject is. At first, it was Mary, the, first, the lines above this. Now, for those who fear him. We're going from the reasoning that Mary has, these personal reasons for worshiping and rejoicing, and now Mary is going to give these communal, these communal reasons for rejoicing. And the reasons, right, they're for the people of Israel. She's going to be noticing and, and representing these, these reasons that Israel, she's rejoicing for and, and rejoice and uh, magnifying him for. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And I think this is a really special um, section of this poem because she's going to be alluding to a lot of the Old Testament language that was used throughout. And it's, it's amazing. She says mercy, and she's going to say uh, generation to generation. I think what she's doing is she's bringing us back to Exodus 34, where God, he first shows his character to the people of Israel after he brings them out of Egypt. And this is the most quoted passage in scripture is Exodus 34, I believe six through seven, where he says, I'm a God. He says, I'm, I'm uh, slow to anger uh, with loving kindness, with full of mercy. And, and it's shown to generation to generation, to thousands of generation, right? And, and I think she's, she's showing that the character of God, which was true then, has been continuing on and even now. She's alluding to the Exodus and to God's character throughout the Old Testament. This is even supported by 51. He has shown strength with his arm. 
He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. The strength of his arm, this idea of an arm, right? The strength of God's arm. It's mostly found in the, in the Exodus story over and over and over again. And also in Deuteronomy, when they're reflecting on the Exodus, it's by God's mighty arm that he brings them out of Egypt and brings them to himself. Mary is recognizing the mercy of God that's been shown throughout Israel's history. She's rejoicing and she's praising that his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, that, that he is the one, he's, he's shown his strength. She's worshiping him for this. He, he's the one who brought Egypt, I mean, brought Israel out of Egypt, who, who scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Humble estate, that's the same description she gave of herself just a couple lines earlier. Right? His heart is for those who, who have been humbled, those who have come from lowly positions. He's bringing down the mighty from their thrones. We see that he did that, even with Israel, when they became proud and, and they, they forgot to obey God and live righteously and, and worship him. He brought them down as well. He brought down Assyria. He brought down Babylon. He brought down Persia. He brought down Egypt. We see he, she's looking at all of the different um, acts of God throughout their history. All of the different nations of Canaan, when they came there after the Exodus, right? He, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble of his state. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty, right? I think she's explaining the heart of God, the heart of God throughout scripture, throughout their history, right? And I mean, there's all these different laws that we find in the Old Testament. This, these laws that were given to them to create a community that could reflect God's character, right? We have laws in the Old Testament that were put in place to forgive debts, right? There were laws to, to free slaves, there were laws to feed the hungry. There were laws to, to protect um, um, people who came from other countries who were fleeing persecution. There were laws to, to bring them in, refugees. They had these laws in place that were always there from God to help the hungry, to exalt the, the humble. And she says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Right? This idea that it's been God's character and his remembering of his character that has allowed this to happen throughout their history. As he spoke, right, in accordance with what he spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She's noticing that the history of Israel, this continued faithfulness of God's character in their lives, all the way from the Exodus, even before that, to Abraham, all the way to where they are in her time, is due to the promise, due to what God spoke to Abraham. God has been faithful from the very beginning when he said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a land and, and you're gonna, your descendants are going to become a nation and they're going to bless the whole world, right? She's saying this has all been in accordance 
as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She's probably seeing herself maybe as one of these offspring as she's saying this forever, right? That, that God's character has been true from all time. It's always, been, it's always been acting according to his mercy and according to his promise to Abraham. Mary is worshiping and rejoicing, rejoicing that the mercies of God are evident in her people, in, her, in their lives. But the truth is, there's also more to this because even though there, there is truth to God has uh, scattered the proud and he has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted the humble and filled the hungry with good things and the rich sent away um, empty and, and he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Mary's still looking around and she's still seeing tyrants and she's still seeing the hungry all around her. She sees the, the camp of lepers where they have to be excluded from the rest of the people. She sees the oppressed. She still sees that, that it seems like, yes, God has done this in the past, but we're still experiencing it in the present. Right? And, and she's, they're still experiencing the suffering and they're still experiencing the, the downfalls where they might say, where is God in all of this? Where is his mercy? And so why is Mary rejoicing and why is she, is, she, is she magnifying God of, yes, he's done it in the past, but they're still experiencing it? Why would she, do, why would she worship and rejoice like this? Because everything she said, she said in the past tense that he showed strength, that he scattered the proud, that he brought down the mighty. What actually most commentators believe is that she's, she's speaking also of the future. And what she's doing is she's talking about what her son will accomplish, right? This is actually a very common thing in Old Testament prophecy where they would talk about what God will do in the future in the past tense. And what that does is it shows the certainty of what God will do. It shows that they believe fully that what God has begun, even though it's small and it's not complete yet, that it is so sure it is as if it already has happened, right? So that's what Mary's doing. You know, she is, she is actually prophesying. And she's using all of this Old Testament imagery of what God has done in the past to say that, yes, God will continue this work in the future through his son, right? I love I love what this, uh, this one scholar, what he says. He says, the Magnificat, right, this poem here, summarizes what God did in rescuing a slave people, referring to Egypt, I mean, uh, Israel out of Egypt, while anticipating what God is beginning now. That Jesus is the continuation of what God has always been doing. Jesus is the continuation, right, of the mercy that we find, right? It's amazing. It's just Mary, she knew her word, and she was, she was understanding how God, he was always at work in the midst of what seemed like hopelessness and suffering. God was beginning to, to bring these things, bring his character, 
uh, virtues, bring his character desires of establishing a community that would be righteous and, and would be uh, a society of kindness and a society that, that was uh, thinking of others to its end that lived with him, right? This is, this is what Mary sees. And, and I was wondering, how does this first part of this verse, where she talks about why she's rejoicing for herself, how does it connect with the second part? of this where she's rejoicing for what God has done and what he will do in the future. Because it says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. I believe what's happening is Mary is recognizing that the mercy that's being shown and has been shown to the people of Israel and eventually to the world through Jesus, right? is being done, she is the link in this story. I think she understands that what the great things that God is gonna do with her is what is going to continue the great things that he has been doing from the beginning. She understands that she's, a, she's the linchpin of, of, uh, of, of, of mercy from then into the future that they will call, the generations will call her blessed because they have become blessed through Jesus coming from her, right? And she worships God because she sees herself within the grand scheme, even though what she's gonna do is extremely difficult and demanding. As, as I was thinking of this, we can learn from her. I believe we can learn from this passage because we worship God for his mercy in sending us Jesus. And we worship him also because he's allowed us to be a part of his plan, right? And so we need to worship God for his grand plan. Like, how, how do we do that? It's, it's what we've done today, coming and just singing together, coming and singing these songs and, and meditating on the words and allowing them to come from our heart, from our, our soul, from our spirit, like Mary, God, how amazing has your plan been that since the beginning until now and to the future that you've been working in your mercies to, to create this, to lift up the humble, to, to create a place where people are, are respected and loved, where people can live in, in, without fear in your presence. Right? This is what Mary's talking about in her poem. And this is what we are worshiping every Sunday, that God is, is in his mercy, is, is bringing us closer to him and, and reaching out to the world to bring them closer to him. Right? And that's what we do in our worship. Right? And so we worship. We sing. We also, we read God's word. I mean, these are the most simple applications. We worship and we read God's word. Right? But we, we dig into this and we look at the, the precision of God and the, and, the, and the skill and the design that God has had, that he's always been in control and always had a plan and, and he's always been working even with flawed people to bring it about. That he's used these imperfect people to, to, to complete a perfect plan. It's incredible. How could God use me? How could God use you? He has. He used Mary, right? This is what we see that I need, to, I need to fall in love with his word. Mary knew. I mean, she's drawing on so much of scripture as she's writing this poem. 
She saw the grand scheme. I think also, not that we just worship that there is a grand plan, but just like Mary, we worship for allowing us to be a part of that plan, right? Mary didn't understand it all, probably, how it was all going to happen. She didn't understand that her son was going to die on a cross. She didn't understand that. The cross was not on her mind. She probably thought that her son was going to reign, take control politically and militarily, and, and, and create a perfect society as a king, as an earthly king. She couldn't fathom, none of us could, that he was going to reign as this spiritual king who will one day come back and come back for the people that he's forgiven, right? But she was faithful, and she, she allowed God to use her, even though she didn't understand all these details. Right? We worship God for allowing us to be part of his plan. And I was thinking how being a Christian and following Jesus, right, being in church and, and, and just living in a Christian community, it's not uncommon for people to become bitter. It's not uncommon for living in what people say, like, oh, like, oh you're religious, right? And the word religion has changed over the years. It's become, it, the definitions change to people who maybe are hypocritical or they, they do things just because they're told to, right? But, this idea that people do, they become bitter over time because there's a lot of rules. There's a lot that God has asked people to do. You're telling me that you want me to read a giant book that was written to ancient people? You're telling me that I got to watch the way I talk, the words I use, the jokes I make? You're telling me that I have to forgive people 70 times 7? You're telling me that I got to turn the other cheek? You're telling me yeah, I got to be nice to my neighbor who keeps messing with me. You're telling me, and the list goes on and on. You're telling me I got to love my neighbor. You're telling me all these different things, these different rules that we find in Scripture. That we, we see, they infringe on our freedom and what we want to do with our lives. And you see, it becomes often about rules. And our faith can become legalistic. And we can become bitter and do things just because we say, oh, Jesus told me to do that. I got to do it, whatever. Oh, I got to be nice to them. You know, just throw a smile up. And you can get bitter. God, I don't, I'm done with this. I don't want to keep going. I feel empty. It's easy. But Mary wasn't bitter. None of us were asked to carry a child that was conceived by the Holy Spirit when we were maybe 15, 16, 14 years old and we were engaged to our husband, but now there's the possibility that he'll get, get rid of me and I, I could be stoned. I mean, you want to talk about getting bitter. You could get bitter. But she rejoiced because she saw the grand plan, right? because she saw her place in the narrative of God's salvation and mercy for people, right? I mean, the way I thought of it was like this, all right? The way I thought of it was like this. Imagine, imagine you're at work, and one day your, uh, your co-worker says, oh, can you go get me a cup of coffee? All right, I'll get you a cup of coffee. So you go get him a cup of coffee. The next day, they say, can you give me another cup of coffee, right? 
the next day, and then the next day they do the same, and the next day they do the same. So why? They start getting bitter. Then why don't you go get me a cup of coffee? They're getting maybe a little angry, right? What's going on? You're not being very selfless, right? I mean, we would probably get angry after a while. But let's reimagine this story, all right? And let's say your coworker is, is Albert Einstein, and, and he's discovering, and he's working all day and all night, and what he's doing is he's discovering the, the theories of, of relativity and, and how the universe works and the physics behind everything. I mean, you then would be like, hey, you want a cup of coffee? I'll go get you one, you know? And then, and then when, when uh, you have grandchildren one day, you would, say, you would say, hey, you know how Albert Einstein, how uh, he had enough energy to discover the theories of relativity and stay up all night? I got him all his coffee, right? Because the truth is, when you, when you look at something and you see the difference you're making in the grand scheme and that you're bigger than a greater, in a greater story, the bitterness gets wiped away and it turns to laughter, right? When you think about all the things that maybe have been frustrating you about following Jesus, about maybe the show that you're saying, ah, maybe I shouldn't be watching that, or maybe the, the words that maybe you need to stop saying, or maybe the people that have been frustrating you, they need to treat better. And you start feeling bitter. We look back and remember God, but you've looked at me. And you said that you're going to do great things in me. And, 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 and Lord, you, you've allowed me to be a part of your story. And I'm not like Mary. I'm not, gonna, I, I'm not bringing Jesus to the, to the world physically. But, but God, you have called me to bear the news of Jesus to the world. Amen. And to live out his character. To be like a window of what God will do one day that when we do live in a world with perfect justice and a, and a world of, of, of perfect love and forgiveness and a world where, where there is food for the hungry and there is acceptance into a community and there is no more death or pain, that people can say, I first saw it in you because you reflected the character of Jesus and you carried his mercy, right? It takes away the bitterness. It allows us to be joyful as we serve and as we follow him. Like Mary was joyful and magnifying God at the opportunity to help him, to be used by him, to carry this mercy to the people. I think too, just the fact that there are things that God asks us to do, right? And the thing is this, that it's, it's God working within us. It's not us working on our own, right? Mary didn't, conceived the child. Mary didn't, um, Mary didn't make the angel come down. Mary didn't make him the son of God and put him in the right schools and, and make sure that he was with the right crowd that would bring him to a place of leadership. It, that it was all God working in her life, right? Don't you hate it when someone, um, they finish maybe the milk in the fridge and they put the empty container back in there, right? I hate that. I've done that, but I hate that. We hate it, you know why? Because the container can't do nothing without the milk, right? And Mary allowed God to make her a vessel, and she couldn't do nothing without, 
what God did in her life. She was just the container, right? And I think, too, we're just the container. We're just the vessel that God uses to bring his mercy. And we can have this joy, but we have to allow him to use us. Where is God asking you to be used? Or maybe rejoice in what you're already doing and recognize what you're doing. But I think God's called us to do things for him, to be emblems of his mercy, be bringer of his news, to be like, to be like Mary, to be obedient and trust in him. Right? What are those things that he's asked you to do? Maybe, you know, serving here in some way, being a children's church teacher, or serving in, in, um, in, in media, or serving in usher greeting, all these awesome teams to be a part of. Maybe it's on your job, all the different places where people need to, to see Jesus through you, right? He's called you to do that. And it's so simple. We know this, but in the moment, many times we don't want to. We say, oh, man, all right, all right, all right, be joyful. Do it, you know? Lord, use me. Use me, Lord, with that coworker. Use me, Lord. We need to be emblems. We need to be vessels, milk containers full of him. Right? Bringing his mercy as, as Mary did. And I think also this idea of Mary's faith. Mary, she had faith. We see that she spoke about what would happen as if it was already in the past because she was so sure it would happen. That, even, that just the fact that it's already begun gave her the certainty that it would happen. And she could live with that joy and that peace now because God had promised he would. She took that step of faith. She took that faith and she spoke it out and she lived it out. It said that when the angel said, you're gonna have this baby and it'll be conceived by the Holy Spirit, she said, let it be as you say. She trusted and she just did it. She followed him. I think too, we're asked to be a to follow, we're asked to live by faith and to believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and he's called us to establish his kingdom here, to establish a, a, a community of his love and hope and forgiveness and his power and his presence. Right? There's uh there's um this story, this true story that Mr. Gary told me not that long ago about these missionaries. And these, these missionaries, there were young men who, who went to the Amazon and, and they, they flew by plane into the Amazon. They landed on the river. They went out um, to go tell them about Jesus and they were speared to death. They were killed, right? Talk about dangerous, you know, they had faith. But, but then their wives came later, years later. The wives came, they learned the language. They come, they land they land on the river, they go, and, and they tell them about Jesus, and they forgive the people who killed their husbands. And that community learned about Jesus and began to have faith, and they brought mercy to those people. They brought, they brought Jesus to those people, right? We see that they understood they believed that, that Jesus was the son of David, that Jesus is the, the forgiver of sins, the bringer of mercy. 
They understood that those people, they had faith that those people need to know about them, need to know about God, need to know about Jesus, and were willing to take the risk based on their faith. I don't know if you're being called to the Amazon, but I know that you're called to this area. I know you're called to where you live to be a bearer of mercy, to respond to it and bring it as Mary did, to, to have faith and trust that God is who he says he is and, and he's establishing his people through us by his Holy Spirit, right? Are we people who understand his faith? And I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. I just wanna read this passage again. I mean, it's, it's a song that she's singing. And I want us to now think just through what what this all means as we read it. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God has shown mercy and we worship him and we rejoice because of it. Also because he has allowed us to be a part. He's looked at you and he's looked at me. And he said, you can be a part of this. You have a task in this endeavor. To be a bearer of mercy and play a part in the grand scheme, to be joyful. Let's be like those little kids who just want to serve, who just want to do that special task. Let me help with the cockroaches. Let me help with making the wood figure. Let me help do what you've asked me to do, Lord, because it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be thought about and allowed to be a part. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you for your mercy in sending us Jesus who comes and dies for our sins so that we can be in relationship with you for all time. And we thank you, Lord, that, that you used Mary. And we thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you're, you're willing to use us as well. I pray we'll respond to your mercy with awe and wonder and worship and magnifying that comes out of our hearts and our souls and our spirits. And I pray, God, that we'll understand that we play a little part in your grand scheme reaching the world as you promised to Abraham of establishing your kingdom that people would know you and love you bless us Lord 
especially this holiday season, that, Lord, we would just understand the beauty of the King who comes. Thank you, Jesus. Bless your people today. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together.